Good morning, church family. It's wonderful to see all of you here today, as we will once again be in Acts chapter 2 this morning, church, and we'll once again be looking at Peter's sermon at Pentecost in verses 33 through 41, which again obviously takes place following the disciples of Jesus Christ receiving the gift of the promised Holy Spirit being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, being able to clearly and to understandably and to intelligibly speak in other known human languages and tongues, to which, as the Apostle Peter then made clear in the first part of his sermon at Pentecost, that the reason for all this wasn't because the disciples of Jesus Christ were all drunk or filled with too much wine, But instead it was because, as the Apostle Peter goes on to note in verses 16 through 21, that this phenomenon, that they, the crowd, were all witnessing on this day, was all in accordance with the very Word of God, as foretold by the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, to which the Apostle Peter then transitioned from this Old Testament text in Joel chapter 2, to eventually then another Old Testament text, this time found in Psalm chapter 16, in order to begin to make clear to his audience here that this Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to them by God, but who they crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, is verse 36, both Lord and Christ. And thus the Apostle Peter then, for he not only quotes this aforementioned psalm, specifically that of Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, and verses 25 through 28. But he also then, as we go on to see in verses 29 through 32, begins to exegete or to explain a portion of this psalm as well, by initially making clear to his audience that since this psalm says in verse 27, that you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption, And furthermore, since verse 29, the patriarch David, the author of this psalm, both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, that the patriarch David then absolutely could not have then ultimately fulfilled this text. But that instead, as the Apostle Peter goes on to explain in verses 30 and 31, that the patriarch David... Again, the author of this psalm, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, and that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. In essence, the patriarch David, who was speaking here as a prophet, was ultimately speaking about, verse 31, the Christ, the Messiah. To which the Apostle Peter then, for he does not stop there, but instead goes on to connect the dots for the crowd here, if you will, by then saying to them in verse 32 that this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. In essence, making the overall point here, church, that since the patriarch David both died and was buried, That this patriarch David then, as previously noted, could not have been speaking about himself here since this psalm, Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, speaks about a resurrection. 
but that instead David had to be prophetically speaking here about the Messiah who would not, verse 31, be abandoned to Hades or have his flesh see corruption, but who instead would be raised from the dead. And thus being that God did indeed, verse 32, raise this Jesus of Nazareth up from the dead, for this Jesus of Nazareth then, quite clearly, quite frankly, and most certainly has to be then, verse 31, the Christ the Messiah. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this, that Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified and killed, is both Christ and Lord. That Jesus of Nazareth, The one who was crucified and killed is both Christ and Lord. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Acts chapter 2, verses 33 through 41. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles which are all located in the chairs in front of you as our gift to you this morning. And that if you do indeed take and keep one of our church Bibles this morning, then lovingly let me encourage you to read it, which you can start doing today, right here, right now, by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 910, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Acts chapter 2 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 33 through 41, where the author of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to the conclusion of Peter's sermon today at Pentecost, 
Father, let us be in awe this morning of the fact that your Son, Jesus Christ, is both Christ and Lord. The King, the Ruler, and the Lord over all, and is worthy of our obedience and our submission and our praise. Father, also give us eyes to see this morning the wonderful truths of your word, that your promises of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, that it is for all people who come to faith in Jesus Christ and who repent of their sins, young or old, rich or poor, Father, whoever you call to yourself, for that is who will be saved. Father, we pray that you Open the eyes of the dear ones here today. Open their ears, and Father, soften their hearts so that they willingly submit to your word. Father, let us be transformed this morning by your word. The word, when preached and the gospel is proclaimed, grows and grows and grows as we see in the text today, your church, Father. Father, I pray that you help my lisping and my stammering tongue this morning as well. Father, help me to rely completely on your spirit this morning and to give these dear ones, individuals who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, the encouragement they need this morning from your very word. Father, I pray that our entire service this morning, our songs, our prayers, the preaching of your word, communion that we will take, the offering, Father, that it is glorifying to you. Do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Jesus is both the exalted Messiah and the exalted Lord. Jesus is both the exalted Messiah and the exalted Lord. Verses 33 through 36. Again, which reads, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, But he himself says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. But let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So following the apostle Peter saying to the crowd that the patriarch David in Psalm chapter 16 for Saul and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. And then in essence, connecting the dots, if you will, for the crowd, by pointing out to them that this Jesus of Nazareth was raised from the dead, and thus must be then the Messiah. For the apostle Peter then, for he does not stop there, but instead goes on to say to the crowd here in verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, and that this Jesus of Nazareth wasn't only raised from the dead by God, 
but that he was also, as we see in verse 33, exalted at the right hand of God as well. The right hand of God being the position of power, church, and the position of authority, church, and the position of glory and honor and strength and greatness here, church. And not only that, but as we go on to see in verse 33, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, for this exalted Jesus of Nazareth then, verse 33, poured out this Holy Spirit that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And that what this crowd of Jews were witnessing and seeing and hearing on this day of Pentecost with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was, as one commentator described it, signs of Jesus' exaltation since as the dispenser of the Holy Spirit or as the one who poured out the Holy Spirit for this Jesus of Nazareth was now acting with God the Father and sharing fully in his heavenly rule. And thus, just as the Apostle Peter went to the Old Testament Scriptures in order to showcase to the crowd that what was taking place on this day of Pentecost was all in accordance with the very Word of God, as foretold by the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, and just as he went to the Old Testament Scriptures in order to point out that the Christ would not be abandoned to Hades or have his flesh see corruption, but instead would be raised from the dead as foretold by the patriarch David in Psalm chapter 16. For so too does the apostle Peter once again, in verses 34 and 35, go back to the Old Testament scriptures. But this time, church, in order to confirm his claim about Jesus being exalted at the right hand of God the Father, by citing that of Psalm chapter 110, Verse 1. But before he does, he, the Apostle Peter here, initially makes clear in verse 34 that David did not ascend into the heavens. Peter again referring to the patriarch David, who was the author of this psalm, Psalm 110, and who not only wasn't raised from the dead, as we saw back in verse 29, but who also, as we see here in verse 34, did not ascend into heaven either, but who instead wrote, as we see in verses 34 and 35, again, the apostle Peter citing here that of Psalm 110, verse 1, where it reads, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. These verses here, church, ultimately referring not to the patriarch David, who again did not ascend into heaven, but instead ultimately referring, verse 34, to the Lord Yahweh. Saying, verse 34, to my Lord, a.k.a. to the patriarch David's Lord, or to the Messiah, to sit at my right hand, verse 35, until I make your enemies your footstool. And thus, as Patrick Schreiner explains it, for Psalm 110, verse 1 then, in essence, gives the readers here a heavenly perspective, if you will, of the earthly event of the ascension of Jesus Christ. An event that Luke previously narrated for us back in Acts chapter 1, whereas while readers only saw the ascension of Jesus Christ from the disciples' perspective of looking up, here the apostle Peter indicates what happened in God's throne room. Jesus was told by God the Father to sit at his right hand, and thus this Jesus of Nazareth then fulfills the promises 
given to the patriarch David, not only concerning his suffering and resurrection, but also concerning that of his enthronement or exaltation as well. And thus, in light of all that, for the Apostle Peter then concludes his sermon here, if you will, in verse 36 by saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, and that this man named Jesus, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, and who was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, but who instead was resurrected from the dead and is exalted now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who you, speaking to the crowd here, church, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men for this Jesus of Nazareth, as the Apostle Peter makes absolutely clear here in verse 36, is both Lord and Christ. Christ as in the Messiah church and Lord as in the one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, Ephesians 1 verses 20 and 21. And thus in light of this fact, church, that this Jesus of Nazareth truly is both Christ and exalted Lord of all, ageth Fernando, for he wrote this, that the reign of the exalted Christ, climaxing in the consummation when he will restore all things, Matthew chapter 17, for it was a regular feature of apostolic preaching. For in the Roman Empire, the famous affirmation was Caesar is Lord. And thus, when Christians then called Christ Lord, for they were affirming that he was their king, and that their allegiance to Christ soon was severely tested by authorities, first in Jerusalem, and finally then in Rome itself. And one of the major obstacles that we have to becoming, a, people have to becoming a Christian today is fear of revenge and retaliation from other gods and religious leaders government authorities and family members, community members, and even that of friends, and that many people today fear curses and persecution and discrimination from others. Therefore, we as Christians today need to show these people that the only one they need to fear is the supreme Lord of the universe who will conquer all rebellion against him, and that the safest thing we can do in this life is to align ourselves with him. For far too many people are so afraid of present threats that they ignore eternal threats. But we must show the world that the only one we ought to fear is the one who has the keys to eternity. For we must proclaim the sovereign reign of Christ. And thus it is our hope that the idea of Christ as king will make its return to the basics of gospel preaching throughout the evangelical church. So yes, brother Christian, sister Christian, this man named Jesus of Nazareth, for he is most certainly the Christ, the Messiah, and the one who offers salvation to the world. 
However, let us also then never fail to forget that this man named Jesus, that he is both the Christ and the exalted Lord of this world as well, whose name is above every name, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and who will most assuredly come again one day to judge the living in the dead, and that he is both the Christ Christian and the Lord, the ruler, and the king of this world as well. Yes, even over the likes of President Trump and President Biden, Justin Trudeau and Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un and Xi Jinping, and yes, even over the likes of every other politician out there today. For this man named Jesus, for he truly is the Lord over all and is worthy of our complete obedience and submission and praise, whether this world in the here and now believes that Jesus is Lord or not. And I say that because... That at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And thus, because of all that, for do not ever, ever, ever be afraid then, brother Christian, sister Christian, to believe this truth, to live out this truth, promote this truth, and to boldly proclaim this truth to that of the entire world, that this man named Jesus us that he truly is both the Christ and the exalted king and ruler and lord of this world as well. Which brings us to point number two. The church of God grows through the faithful proclamation of the gospel of God. The church of God grows through the faithful proclamation of the gospel of God. Verses 37 through 41. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So as we see in verse 37, that when they, they referring to that of the crowd here, heard this, this being, as we just saw in verse 36, that God made this Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom they crucified, that they then, verse 37, were cut to the heart, or as other translations put it, were pricked in the heart, pierced in the heart, stricken in their hearts, and came under deep conviction. So much so that they said to the apostle Peter and to the rest of the apostles in verse 37, Brothers, what shall we do? Only for the apostle Peter then to respond back to them by saying in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
and that they were to repent of their sin, to turn to God, to make a radical and comprehensive change to their life, and to begin to hate and forsake that of their sin. And although faith is not specifically mentioned here, church, in verse 38, please make no mistake about it, for it is most certainly implied. And yet the apostle Peter, for he does not stop there, but instead goes on to say to the crowd in verse 38, to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. Which naturally then leads to the question, for is the apostle Peter here teaching or affirming that of baptismal regeneration? Or this idea that baptism is necessary in order for someone to be saved? And the answer to that question, church, is absolutely not. And I say that because, as the Southern Baptist himself, Albert Moeller, explains it, that although baptism is an essential part of Christian discipleship and represents the forgiveness of sins, for the New Testament clearly represents baptism as a visual picture of salvation, and that the one who is immersed in the waters of baptism is the one who has been regenerated. So baptism, then, is not a prerequisite for salvation, as we see from the repentant thief on the cross who was assured his place in paradise but was in no position to be baptized, but that baptism is a necessary sign of obedience and discipleship, and that we do not need to be baptized in order to be saved. But if we are saved, then we will get baptized. And thus overall, what we have here, church, in verse 38, in essence, is the apostle Peter telling this Jewish crowd, this same Jewish crowd, mind you, church, who had just been cut to the heart and who had asked in verse 37, brothers, what shall we do in light of them just hearing that this Jesus is both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom they crucified, that they, the Jewish crowd here, were to repent of their sins and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, which implies faith and belief in Jesus Christ here. And whereas baptism specifically, as just mentioned, represents the forgiveness of sins or is a visual picture of salvation for the one who has already been regenerated. And that for those who do, church, as we go on to see in verse 38... For they will not only be forgiven of their sins, but also, verse 38, would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which does not mean that they would receive the power in order to be able to do supernatural miracles like Jesus Christ, but that instead, in receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, for they would receive, as numerous commentators put it, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is now given to all believers and who dwells in all believers as a seal of conversion for the believer and who empowers the believer to live a life of faith. To which the Apostle Peter then says in verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, and that the promise of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, for it was not only for those who were in attendance on this day, church, 
but also, verse 39, for their children, i.e., for their descendants, and also, verse 39, for all who are far off. Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, likely referring to even that of Gentiles here as well. To which, as we see then in verse 40, that with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And that the apostle Peter continued then to exhort and to warn and to testify and to admonish this Jewish crowd of people here, church, to save themselves from this crooked and corrupt and perverse generation, which by the grace of God, as we see in verse 41, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And that those who received and who believed Peter's word and who were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ were about 3,000 souls who joined the church. And it wasn't through some seeker-sensitive message, mind you, where the apostle Peter tiptoed around sin, ignored people's sins, and didn't call people to repent of their sins. But instead, about 3,000 people received his word, were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and were added to the church on this day, in essence, through the clear and explicit, unwavering and unapologetic, plain and direct and spirit-empowered preaching of the gospel. And thus, as one commentator explained it, for this then is how the Spirit of God works, and that he empowers the people of God to boldly preach the word of God in order to clearly proclaim the gospel of God, and that as they faithfully do this for the Spirit of God, then bring sinners, even those who are far off, to repentance and to faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And it is by all of this that the church of God then continues to grow and to grow and to grow throughout this entire world. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first, and to share with you at this time, non-Christian, what exactly this gospel of Jesus Christ is that one needs to believe in in order to be saved from their very sin. And I want to share this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with you this morning, non-Christian, because quite frankly, you are a sinner. And because you are a sinner, you deserve the wrath and the eternal condemnation of your holy God for your very sins. However, in love, God the Father, for he sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world as truly God and as truly man to live and to dwell amongst us and to save the children of God from their very sins by initially living a life here on earth that they could never live. And that the life that Jesus Christ lived here on earth, non-Christian, was a life that was holy and righteous and just and good, free from any kind of evil or wickedness, transgressions of the law or sin. And thus because of that, he, Jesus Christ, then fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense, and he did it, non-Christian, for the very children of God. However, keeping the law of God for the very children of God, for that was not all that this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. 
And I say that because being that the wage of their sin or the cost of their sin is that of death. For he, Jesus Christ, also then took their very sins upon himself and willingly then gave himself up by being nailed to and pierced, crucified and crushed on a cross at Calvary in their place and as their very substitute, even though he himself, non-Christian, never ever sinned. And in doing so, not only satisfied the justice of our holy God, but also appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because of all that, three days later then, this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't just stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead, three days later, since sin and death had no power or no claim over him, for he, Jesus Christ then, for he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and today will be the day that you will be given or you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, for I'd like to do so in light of verse 39, which reads, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And although I absolutely do not think here, church, that this text in any kind of way is affirming or promoting here that of infant baptism, as some brothers and sisters in Christ do, For what I do think we can glean from this text here, as numerous credo-baptists point out, and to summarize one of them here, is this, that the condition and the command to repent and to be baptized, as well as the promise you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, are designed not only for you and for your kids, but also for all people. And that no matter who you are or what your age is, for if you repent of your sins, in essence, you will be forgiven of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which seems to open the door then to some very young children being baptized, but who have come to faith and repented of their sins first. Now, I often lovingly get asked why we here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church put such an emphasis on our children and do things like family worship summers and recite catechism questions and answers tailored more so for children during our corporate worship service. 
and even invest so many resources into our weekly children's ministry as well? And I'll, in essence, answer those questions this morning, church, with this. For D.L. Moody, very practically speaking, in light of verse 39, for he shared that I have no sympathy with the idea that our children have to grow up first before they can be converted. For I once saw a lady with three daughters at her side, and I stepped up to her and asked her if she was a Christian. And the lady said, yes, sir, I am. And then I asked her oldest daughter if she was a Christian. And her chin began to quiver, and tears then began to pour from her eyes, and she said, I wish I were. And the mother then looked at me very angrily and said, I don't want you to speak to my children on that subject, since they do not understand. And in a great rage, she took them away from me. And although one daughter of hers was 14 years old, one was 12 and the other was 10, in her mind, they weren't old enough to be talked to about religion. But sure, let them drift into the world and plunge into worldly amusements and see then how hard it is to reach them. For many a mother is mourning today because her boy has gone beyond her reach. When in those early days, when his mind was young and tender, she could have led him to Christ. And thus, if you have children here this morning then lovingly let me encourage you, Christian, to seek to do everything in your power, especially while your children are still young, to point out to them the creative power of their God and to talk to them about the Son of God and to read to them the very Word of God, pray with them in the Spirit of God, share with them the very Gospel of God and to consistently take them to church all so that they can see and grasp and witness the love of the family of God. And as for those who are here this morning but do not have young children in this congregation at this time, then lovingly let me encourage you as well this morning, Christian in word and in deed, to seek to love these dear children and show grace to these dear children and encourage these dear children, evangelize these dear children, and consistently seek to point these dear children to the loveliness of the one who is both Messiah and Lord, that being the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. Also that these dear children then one day, Lord willing, can come to faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, be baptized, and receive the gift of the promise Holy Spirit, and thus do not harden your hearts then, brother Christian, sister Christian, toward any of these dear children here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church today, but instead be willing to be used by God to help these dear children come to faith in Jesus Christ, to repent of their sins, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, since the forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who in Powers the Christian to follow the ways of Jesus Christ is for all people, church, who turn to Jesus Christ and repent of their sins, even for those who are still young and little and nothing more than that of a child. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church family, 
Rest in the fact that this Jesus who we worship, that he is both exalted Messiah and exalted Lord, and that he is the one who not only accomplished salvation for this world, but also is the one who reigns, who rules, and who is king over this world as well, and that we can only be saved from our sin by this Messiah and Lord named Jesus Christ by repenting of our sins and placing our faith in him, and that it does not matter if we are young or old, rich or poor, slave or free, or Jew or Gentile, because if we place our faith in Jesus Christ and repent of our sins, for we will be forgiven of our sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let us realize then, Father, that we should never, ever, ever ignore, neglect, or disregard anyone who comes into this church building merely because they don't look the part or because we don't think that they are old enough to repent of their sins and be saved, since salvation is ultimately for everyone, church, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, open our eyes this morning to see your son Jesus, not only as Christ, as Messiah, as the one who brought salvation to the world. But let us also see him this morning as exalted Lord, as ruler, as king of the universe that we not only come to to ask for the forgiveness of sins and to be pardoned from our sins and saved from our sins, but we also come to in complete obedience and submission to his rule as well. Father, let us be willing to submit to Christ in every area of our life, no matter what type of persecution may come our way in the here and now. Father, help us to fear the Lord Jesus Christ and not that of man. Father, give us the strength needed to continue to proclaim this gospel of Jesus, Christ and Lord Jesus, to this world as well a world that desperately needs it. And let us not neglect sharing that message with the dear little children here merely because we think that they might be too young for religion. Father, let us pour out as many resources as we have and that we need on these young and tender hearts that are in our presence each day. Father, that while they are still young and tender, that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let us not neglect anyone, Father, who walks into these doors, through these doors, and into this church building that doesn't look the part. Father, salvation belongs to you, and it is up to you, Father, who you call to yourself and who do you not. It is our job, Father, to throw gospel seed in every direction and to rest in your sovereignty. Let us not be hard-hearted or hard-headed toward anyone but rest in the fact that salvation belongs to you, Father. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.